Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe for this Friday, the 24th of March in London. Coming up today... An inflated outlook. Bank of England says the UK will avoid a recession and raises rates yet again. Back in the spotlight, Credit Suisse and UBS face US scrutiny over Russian sanctions. It's time up for TikTok. The Chinese-owned social network CEO appears before Congress but leaves lawmakers unsatisfied. Capital pushback, one letter in DUP and the missing 99%. Those are the stories we're looking at in today's paper. I'm James Walcock. Plus Jack Dorsey's fortune on the chopping block. The tech founder sees half a billion dollars wiped off his net worth as Hindenburg Research drops a new report. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Here are the stories that we're following today. The Bank of England has pushed ahead with another hike, taking rates to their highest level since 2008. The central bank raised its benchmark lending rate by a quarter point to 4.25%. Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey says the bank still expects price rises to slow this year. We've seen signs of inflation really peaking now, but of course it's far too high. Now, we think it's going to come down sharply, really from the early summer onwards, but we haven't seen that happen yet. We had some news this week which was unfortunately going a bit the other way. We think there's probably some one-off elements of that, but we need to see it starting to come down progressively and get back to target. Bailey also said the UK economy has been more resilient than the bank had expected. It now expects GDP to rise slightly in the second quarter. That's a sharp upgrade from the 0.4% decline that it projected last month. The UK government has condemned power traders who are turning off their generators to make money. Bloomberg's exclusive story shows how brokers gamed the UK energy system to gain more than half a billion pounds in excess charges yesterday. And in response, the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak's spokesperson, called the practice unacceptable. But reporter Todd Gillespie says that the trading is technically legal. I mean, the simple, the simple answer that we got from all of these companies is that they aren't breaking the rules. And it's true. 
the regulator hasn't found any conclusive evidence of rule breaking. Um, but what you will find now is that the regulator, which has for the first time in our story called this practice manipulation, um, they are coming out now and trying to change the rules to make it explicitly not allowed. So the regulator that Todd mentioned, Ofgem, is now reportedly urgently looking into the practice. Sources tell Bloomberg that Credit Suisse and UBS are among the banks under scrutiny in a Justice Department probe. The story from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. Those sources say investigators are looking into whether financial professionals helped Russian oligarchs evade sanctions. The sources say the Swiss banks were included in a recent wave of subpoenas sent out by the government. The information requests were sent before the crisis that engulfed Credit Suisse and resulted in UBS's proposed takeover of its rival. According to one of the sources, the Justice Department inquiries are focused on identifying which bank employees dealt with sanctioned clients and how how those clients were vetted over the past several years. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says that regulators would be prepared to take further steps to protect the banking system. The strong actions we've taken ensure that Americans' deposits are safe. Certainly, we would be prepared to take additional actions if warranted. Yesterday, bank stocks tumbled after Yellen said that Treasury officials were not considering the possibility of temporarily insuring all U.S. bank deposits without congressional approval. Former Fed Governor Dan Tarullo says U.S. regulators need to be clearer in their position on supporting uninsured depositors. Speaking in a Bloomberg roundtable, Tarullo said Yellen and Powell seem to be saying that regulators have the power to backstop previously uninsured deposits of insolvent banks. They do not have the authority without congressional action to ensure the deposits in open banks. Uh, what I think they have done is effectively to say the following. We do have the authority, along with the FDIC, to ensure previously uninsured deposits in failed banks. And so what we are basically telling you is, if a bank fails, we will ensure the uninsured deposits. Antarulo, who oversaw financial regulation and supervision at the Fed, also sharply criticised the central bank's 2022 stress test metrics. He says even if Silicon Valley Bank had been tested at the time, it wouldn't have been seen as risky. Now, the appearance of TikTok's CEO before US lawmakers appears to have done little to quell the political fury directed at his firm. Defending his company against a barrage of criticism, Sho Cho uh, sought to underline the app's independence from its Chinese owners. The potential security, privacy, content manipulation concerns raised about TikTok are really not unique to us. The same issues apply to other companies. We believe what's needed are clear, transparent rules that apply broadly to all tech companies. Ownership is not at the core of addressing these concerns. Well, whilst Cho was answering those questions in the US, the UK Parliament banned TikTok on local networks and staff devices. US lawmakers and the Biden administration are exploring how to force ByteDance to sell its share of TikTok or to ban the app altogether. 
Payment company Block says it will explore legal action against short seller Hindenburg Research over its report accusing the business of enabling fraudsters. Hindenburg's investigation alleges scammers were using Block's cash app to take advantage of the US government's pandemic stimulus programmes. Shares in Block fell on the news, closing down 15%. As a result, co-founder Jack Dorsey saw his fortune plunge, with $526 million wiped off his net worth. According to Bloomberg's Billionaires Index, he's now worth $4.4 billion. Okay. Our top stories. Those are the top stories. I want to shine a little spotlight, though, on Todd Gillespie, uh, our Bloomberg reporter, and Joe Mays and Gavin Finch, who wrote that piece yesterday about um, power traders here in the UK. It got, frankly, instant reaction from the government. And no surprise, given uh, how much money the traders seem to have been making from consumers and businesses from, well, what the regulators called a sort of sharp practice, i.e. saying, oh, you know, we don't have enough uh, energy or power to cover this particular period of high demand. Oh, no, now we do. And then charging a higher price. But the uh, spokesperson for the prime minister saying it's going to be looked into. Yeah, it's an incredible scoop. Uh, I think you had Todd on the UK Politics podcast. We did. You can download it. It's true. If you want a (laughs) deeper look at it, it's clearly outrageous, Caroline, when we're in a cost of living crisis to use the cliche people are choosing between heating and eating and the power. And this is going on with the power traders. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Also, you know, it shows up in the latest GFK survey of UK consumers uh, who are immensely downbeat about their finances. Yes, the kind of overall measure of consumer confidence in Britain, this is very closely watched. It in ticked up just a little bit but underlying that people are really still worried about their finances and of course that consumer confidence set to play into the retail sales data that we get out from the uk office for national statistics at 7 a.m currently we're expecting uh, sales including auto fuel to be 0.2 percent uh, in the next reading that's down from the last month of 0.5 percent because of because you say because of this cost of living squeeze yeah absolutely okay uh, let's talk though about the bank jitters uh, which have dominated over the last few days and weeks. They are casting a long shadow, even though, as I mentioned, the Nasdaq is closing in on a bull market. Joining us now are Senior European Strategist and Director of Research for Bloomberg Intelligence, Tim Craighead. Tim, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, What's your view on whether SVB and Credit Suisse represent a systematic risk, company-specific versus one-off? What what are we thinking about in terms of financials? I mean, the, the ECB is looking into this in terms of financial risk. No, no doubt, and it's it's great to be here with you as always. Um, I'll give you a really definitive. Uh, I hope it's not systemic, but um, <laughs> and, and by that, what I mean is, I, I think both instances, SVB and Credit Suisse, are are definitely you know, idiosyncratic. There, there are company specific elements that are at the heart of both of those, and they're different, and definitely can view them as one off, but. It's the extraordinary speed and magnitude of central bank tightening in the U.S. and in Europe that was the catalyst. It's sort of, you know, the river of free money dries up and the rocks start to show. And I think the telling period may be Q1 earnings when banks and financials and others have to report new stats that might show other rocks. And fingers crossed there aren't any, but I think that's what you have to watch for. And so what does it show when you see demand for two Fed backstop facilities only fell slightly in the most recent week? 
Well, I think that goes to the idea of number one, it's great that the central banks are drawing a line under elements that they can. And, you know, it, it was bank quality that was an issue in the last cycle and regulations tightened. Now maybe it's it's deposit security that's the next thing that regulators focus on. You know, they're always thinking about, you know, kind of the last cycle. And, you know, it, I, I think banks are going to be really conservative um, over the course of, you know, the, the next number of weeks to make sure that calm is back in the market. Um, it's good that this isn't being stigmatized. Mm, okay. So, Talk us through the fundamentals, though. I mean, banks' financials um, were part of the big rally at the start of the year. What are the underlying fundamentals like now, the valuations and earnings for uh, European banks? Yeah, so, you know, the, the interesting thing on banks is the fundamentals have, in fact, changed a lot. You know, the story was uh, rising interest rates, improving net interest margins, strong credit quality, and all of this was helping to drive better earnings, dividends, and buybacks. And all of a sudden, over the course of you know the last couple of months, and it accelerated the last couple of weeks, now less of a rate rise, more economic risk, which creates less profitability um, expansion, and some risk to what had been dividend buyback improvement expectations. You know, so you know that story for earnings and distributions is less, still valued pretty lowly. Um, recession risk um, is relatively modest, um, and frankly, yeah, I, if you ask me, I think central bank expectations may have shifted too much in terms of the pivot coming at a lower level and sooner than what in fact might happen. So there's tension in the banks. It's just not the positive that it was through most of last year from our underlying view. Okay, Tim, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being with us. Tim Craighead is Senior European Strategist and our Director of Research at Bloomberg Intelligence. Up next, capital pushback, one letter in DUP and the missing 99%. We'll get the papers with James Wilcock. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like 
everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Now, the paper review on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. And James Wilcock is in studio with us. Let's start with The Telegraph, James, which has a story around Rishi Sunak's tax returns. Now, uh, are they getting a bit more interesting? It's not... Well, they came out during Boris Johnson's parliamentary inquiry, Caroline. So what is interesting is there is they were snuck out and now we're all digesting them. <laughs> OK. But what is interesting about them is they've started this debate about who bears kind of the burden of this very difficult period of economic stats we're looking at right now. Uh, and that's not my words. That's Charlie Bean, one of Britain's foremost economists and former uh, BOE member, who uh, said that real incomes across the UK will need to fall 5% to adjust for shocks. So he, he's saying broadly there's pain in this economy and it's a choice about who bears it. I was fell over when I saw that 5%. We, we already have seen stagnant wages for 15 years and the cost of living crisis but, in the but UK. But then when you see inflation at 10% and see talks about, say, union members negotiating for 5%, that's a 5% real income yes, shock. Yes, yes. So it, it does add up. But that, so that, where, this is where capital gains comes into it. Rishi Sunak's taxes show that he makes far more in capital gains than he does in income. Now, capital gains is levied at roughly 20% on most assets. Income is at 40%. And so with the British public facing the highest income tax burden in 70 years, Labour and some tax economists are saying, maybe you should look at capital gains. So what The Telegraph are writing about today is saying, actually, more Britons are saving than ever before, and to up capital gains would actually harm the saving part of the economy that we all rely on for future investment. If the Tories ever went anywhere near, quote unquote, (laughs) unearned income... I'm sure it would be outrage in the right-wing press. Right, moving on, James. The FT are writing about Northern Ireland. So... In some ways, Lizzie, the EU deal is all wrapping up today. Maros Sefcovic is meeting with James Cleverley today. They're set to sign off. The Windsor framework passed by a decisive 515 to 29 votes on Wednesday. But, 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 the DUP are still calling for more and they are not happy with the deal. And they also are not returning to power sharing in Northern Ireland, which is a key issue ahead of the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, which is happening in April. And one of their key claims is that they want both laws, both EU laws, law and UK law to work in Northern Ireland so that way they feel like they are still part of the union. However, this is where the FT's scoop come in. They've got a letter from Sammy Wilson, who's an MP in the DUP, arguing last year that that same rule that is now a key demand, he said that commercial groups had no interest in it back a few months back. It shows the le- how difficult it's going to be to unravel this very tense situation where the DUP are in a standoff here because what is the quite policy that will calm them down? Well, except, are they really in a standoff is my question you know, uh, has actually the kind of power of the DUP faded now that it's been passed in Parliament? I mean, that's a whole debate, isn't it? Um, The Times and COVID loans. This is very frustrating. Now, we have been talking about COVID loans on this programme for quite some time. It's because there are billions tied up in the space and the numbers that were lent out by the government were astronomical. Now, what has changed today is the National Audit Office themselves have said that £1.1 billion of state business grants were lost to fraud and error and only 1%, £11 have been recovered. Now, this is interesting, but not just because of the sheer amount and it shows an issue in recovering this stuff. The Defence of the 
the government, I mean, Matt Hancock, the health secretary in particular, was work fast, break things, get this done for COVID. Yes, but that you defen- can understand that, yeah. Well, that defence is in trouble because Gareth Davies, the head of the NAO, the National Audit Office, says... We don't actually know the impact of these loans because they've never been recovered and there are never any conditions tied to them. So we can't prove value for money. We can't prove that we were working fast because we don't know if they were working. So it really does raise some questions around both how we handle these crises in future yes. if we are going to like lend out large amounts of government money. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Lizzie Burden. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.